This is the Scott Bradley Show podcast. Monday evening, 7.10-ish. I went a little long this time. Don Robertson joins us as he does every Monday at 7.10. Don Robertson from the Dundas Real McCoys from ComChoice Realty from... He's got his volunteer shirt on, so that indicates he, you know, he does some other things as well. It actually says volunteer right on there, so... That's how I know it's the front. <laughs> yeah, that, and, uh... The and, idiot on the back. And the hot dog stains on the front. Just rotate it around. <laughs> I heard... A, I actually heard a story one time, a long time ago, about an NHL player, and I can't remember which player it was. He was playing for the LA Kings, and they went on a road trip, and he was a bit Butch of a... Butch Goring. Was it Butch Goring? Would have been, yeah. And he didn't bring a suitcase. He just brought the. Yeah. He, he brought what he was wearing, and he spilled something on his white turtleneck under his sports jacket at the airport. And then all of a sudden, ten minutes later, he comes back out, and the stain is gone. And they said, "Turned it around." He, he just went to the bathroom and turned the shirt around and wore it the rest of the road trip. That's pretty good. You knew who that was. Um, by the way, if you're calling on the quiz question, let the phone ring. Luke will get to you as quickly as he possibly can tonight. The NHL, well, not the NHL, the Hockey Hall of Fame induction ceremony is going on. They uh, they had a game on the weekend. It's all been the whole. They've had the whole big thing they do every year, and I'm gonna I'm gonna go right to a sore point with me. How is it after all these years that of all the people who are not in the Hockey Hall of Fame who have been horribly overlooked, and I'm not gonna say Dave Anderchuk, although that's true. How is Don Cherry not in the Hockey Hall of Fame? The, it is the Hockey Hall of Fame. Who in hockey, honestly, other than maybe Wayne Gretzky, Bobby Orr, who is more famous than Don Cherry? Start there. Nobody. Um, well, now that Donald Trump's president of the United States, Don Cherry should get in the Hockey Hall of Fame. If there was a vote. There's... <laughs> There's, uh, I guess, a fear of him, although there shouldn't be. I mean, the guy's 82 years old, I think, now. I mean, he, the collateral damage, any damage he was going to do, you have to think is done by now. But he's, uh, I remember back in the 90s uh, when I had a hockey team in Brantford and we were affiliated with the Leafs, and I'd wander down to midweek games, courtesy of my buddy Bill Waters, and um, then you'd go to the odd Saturday night game in the press box, and as soon as Don Cherry come on, every media scribe in the world would stand there and see what Don Cherry had to say because he was considered the god of hockey and things haven't changed much. So, And even if you disagreed with him, you listened. Well, he was entertaining. Yes. And he said it like it was, or at least his version of said it like it was. And so the bottom line is there's no excuse. And you talk about the Hall of Fame, I always wonder how Rogie Vashon got good enough this year to get in the Hall of Fame. Like, how how guys get overlooked for 30 years and then all of a sudden somebody decides it's their, their turn to get in? Boy, it, it's, uh, it's sometimes troubling to see that kind of thing go on. Like, Eric Lindros was, for a period of years, the most dominant player in the National Hockey League. And what made him so good to get inducted in 2016? Well, he was put off. He was put off. I absolutely believe because he ruffled the hockey infrastructure. He stuck a pin in the eye of owners and you know guys who were behind the game when he wouldn't. First of all, he wouldn't go to Sault Ste. Marie, and then he wouldn't go to Quebec, and they didn't like that. And so you were going to make Eric Lindros sit. I'll tell you a story. Eric Lindros, when he was 18 years old, playing in the Canada Cup, 
had an exhibition game or a practice, I guess it was, because it was an open practice at then Cops Coliseum. And I went to watch him. It was a red and white game. That's what it was. It was a red and white game. It was an inter-squad game. And he was on the left-hand boards being held by another player. So he only had one hand on his stick and he was against the boards. And he, with one hand, took a wrist shot that the goalie had to glove at the crossbar. And I thought, that guy has the strongest... Try and take a one-handed wrist shot and raise the puck. It is almost impossible to do it. And the goalie had to make a glove save at the crossbar. And I remember, that guy has the strongest forearms. He's got to be the strongest guy on the ice. At 18. At 18. And he was. Wasn't even a man yet. And he was. And I remember in that Canada Cup that we have... There's highlights of Eric Lindo steamrolling... Some poor guy from Denmark or Sweden or something that kudos just, to Mike Keenan for keeping him. Eh? Well, how could you not? How could you not? But so Eric Lindros, yeah, they made him wait, but that was a that he was going to go in. That was a no so when either. you talk about Eric Lindros having to pay the penalty and waiting because he very much annoyed the Snyder family and Bobby Clark in Philadelphia. And you're right, he to use your term, he poked the needle in the eye of a lot of hockey establishment people. Do you not think the guy you brought up hasn't done that and still uh, yes, continues to do yes, it? Yes, but, and here's the thing that drives me nuts about this. As people know, they probably have, are sick of me doing it. I have been arguing for Russ Jackson to get something named after him in the city. Not because, I mean, yes, because Russ Jackson is a great guy and a great football player and a great citizen and a great Hamiltonian, but he's also 80 years old. And thankfully, thankfully, Russ Jackson is healthy and is with us. But you know what? When you get over the 80 threshold, I'm sorry, but you get into time. You could borrow time a little bit. Something can happen to you. Let's just say that. We hope it doesn't. We pray that it doesn't. We saw what happened with Pat Quinn. They waited too long. Pat Quinn's being inducted today. I know. They waited too long. They could have inducted Pat Quinn five years ago, as you just said about Rogie Vashon. Nothing changed with Pat Quinn. He they was could, chairman of the board they could of the have, Hockey Hall They of could fame. have put him in while he was alive. They could have put Pat Burns in while he was alive. I have no doubt that eventually Don Cherry will go in. But it's like they're waiting for him to die before they do it. And what's the point? Why would you, why would you do that? Why would you be... I mean, it's, it just seems to me to be such a petty thing. And I don't understand it, that you have an opportunity to honor these guys when they could enjoy it, when they could appreciate it. Or at least and, at least know it. You talk about Russ Jackson on a local level. And uh, Harry Howell. It took forever. Harry Howell only had something, let's be honest, only had something named after him when it came out that he had Alzheimer's. Otherwise, it had been delayed forever. And all of a sudden, he's sick. Well, you pu- Boom. we gotta, we got to name something. You pushed it hard. And but it was only with, when he got sick. With, with, with little results. Nothing. Nothing. The media had no influence on, on that in essence. We'll talk about the media another time about having influence on other things. See the U.S. election. The one that drives me nuts locally is uh, an old buddy of mine, Gaylord Paulus, in Oshweekin. Lacrosse. Yeah. One of the greatest lacrosse players. Maybe the greatest lacrosse player Arguably, there's never been anybody better. So if you don't say he's the greatest one ever, there was never anybody as good before or after him. Take from that what you want. Uh, Gaylord was uh, had fallen ill and was ill for some time. Shortly after he passed, they named the local arena after him. And again, what's the point? And I talked to a couple of my buddies, and I going, why do you do that? Why not give him that honor, even on his deathbed, and say, for all you've done for us, consider the great Mohawk, 
in a Canadian magazine. I think I've still got the magazine at home because my dad said, keep this, it's going to be worth having around someday, and, and do it afterwards. And I don't want to see that happen with Russ Jackson. It's a shame it's happened with Pat Quinn. It'll be a travesty if it happens with Don Sherry, and I just I don't understand it. I mean, pe- those people should call guys like me and you to get straightened out. The point is, is there any doubt that it's going to happen eventually? <clears throat> It, was there any doubt that Well, Pat, if it doesn't happen, they should shut the hall down. But if was there any doubt that Pat Burns <coughs> and Pat Quinn were going to go into the Hall of Fame? No, and, and sadly, Scott, there was talk about why not put Pat Burns in this year. I mean, they talked about it when the poor guy was gravely ill. Do it, it now. It, w- you know he's going. They've, they've got the resume, and so you say, well, you know, maybe there's someone who deserves it slightly more than him. Look, if well, there's some, put six in that year, but if there's somebody, put seven in. But if there's someone who deserves it who's already gone, there's no rush. You, do, you can wait another right. year for that person. And if there's someone like, again, like Eric Lindros had to wait, but if there's somebody who is 36 years old and retired five years ago, or 40 years old, I guess, and they're three years, three years for, for hockey, right? The three-year waiting period, five for baseball. But anyway... You know, okay, so a guy has to wait an extra year who's now 40 years old. Chances are he's still going to be around when he's 41. You don't know. Again, I don't want to be the dark cloud over this thing, but Don Cherry is 82, 83 years old now. I mean, he could have something happen to him. He could die in his sleep. I mean, you don't want it, but you're, you're at an age now when stuff does happen. You hear about people that age passing away and then suddenly and all of a sudden you watch what would happen the next day there would be an outcry of people saying what well i see not in the hall of fame we got to put him in the hall of fame and it's like well do it now if you know that's the case do it now well the bad part is they put Mario lemieux in the hall of fame 15 minutes after and wayne gretzky yeah and wayne gretzky too and Mario lemieux come back and played yeah yeah well so if they can wear that he lafleur did too wasn't it? i think lafleur was the lafleur was another one come back with a nordique uh, with an Nordique or with the Rangers when he came back. I can't remember. Anyway, it was one of those. Um, but th- the reality is, you know, th- th- it seems inconceivable to me that Don Cherry somehow is not going into the Hall of Fame somehow. And I don't believe, even though I am a member of the media and I don't want to put down the Foster Hewitt Award, which is the media wing, I don't believe he should be going in as a media member because honestly, that is a second tier honor. It is. Well, it's a third well, year. Well, you don't get a bust. No, Those the player, guys don't get a bust. Well, the, the they get plaque. a plaque. Yeah. The player is the number one way to go in, let's be honest. And the builder is the second way to go yeah. in. And the media thing is kind of a, you know, it's important. I'm not I'm not in any way dismissing the media thing and that my colleagues and the other people who have gone in. It's, it's great. But how can you argue that Don Cherry has not been a builder of the game? Well, if, you know what? And if, and if they say, well, we don't like him as a builder, we don't like him as a broadcaster... It's Don Cherry. Build a new category. Put him in and name a category after him if you want to. He there. It'll be difficult. I, I'm careful with saying there'll never be anybody as good or there'll never be anybody like him, but there wow, he's been at that a long time. Look, look who's tried to be him. Mike Milbury has tried to be him on the U.S. television and does do, do people in U.S. television say I can't wait for Mike Milbury to get on TV? No, they you know he's somewhat entertaining sometimes, but it's not it's not the same. And you say, well, he ruffled feathers. He ruffled feathers. We can't we can't honor him. We can't do it because some people are bitter about it. How exactly did Bobby Clark not ruffle feathers on the ice? 
there was not a team in the NHL that liked Bobby Clark when he played. They yeah, hated. but everybody wanted him on their team. And there's I, under, I understand that. But if you can't, if you're an owner or if you're on the panel and you can't look at Don Cherry and say, he has made money for hockey. Okay. Don Cherry has made money yeah. for hockey. Don Cherry, whether you agree with him or not, has sold the game. Don Cherry has brought attention to the game. Don Cherry has made people talk about the game around their coffee machines at work. And if you can't see that that is building the game, even if you disagree with his point of view, then you don't understand what the heck you're doing. And he's changed his image from the Rock'em Sock'em tapes to the greatest fights, which probably didn't enhance him to a lot of the hockey purists. He sold a lot of sold a lot of hockey tapes, sold a lot of Stan Jonathan tapes, Terry Terry O'Reilly tapes and so on. But now you listen to him, it's all about now you kids out there, right? He's always trying to tell the kids right from but wrong. Even think, he's redeemed himself. But Don, even if you're gonna argue that he sold hockey fighting, uh it, is fighting not still legal in the NHL? It's like saying, it's like, it would be like the prime minister or someone saying, we don't honor you because you sell cigarettes. Well, they're legal, right? So I'm, I'm selling them. They're legal. If the NHL had said it's illegal to fight and Don Cherry had continued to push fighting in the game, it's a different thing. He's arguing for something else. It's not what he did. He, there was a part of the game and he obviously saw the fans liked it and he sold tapes and he made a lot of money and he drew a lot of attention. It just makes no sense to me. Now, listen, uh, Lindros, sure. Makarov, sure. Uh, as you say, Rogi Vashon. I mean, it was 1976 when he played for Canada in the Canada Cup and was great, and that was his best moment. 1976, that's 40 years ago. I don't quite understand, again, why it was 40 years since his best moment that he's getting inducted into the Hall of Fame, but it is. No Don Cherry. Whatever. Maybe next year, or maybe they just, as I say, wait till he's in his coffin and... As they're lowering him in the ground, they go, oh, yeah, maybe we should have inducted him. Yeah. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. Don, the, um, the Hamilton Tiger Cats season ended yesterday. Um, close game, exciting game, made a comeback in the second half as they have endless times this year. But you're a guy who has coached. You're a guy who's been around sports for a long time, but particularly as a coach. Here's my question for you. I can't remember how many games this year, but it's many. The Hamilton Tiger Cats played a terrific second half and either came back and made it a close game like yesterday or came back all the way and won. And yet there were so many games where they came out of the locker room to start the game looking disinterested, flat, lethargic. I don't know if it was ill-prepared. How much of that does fall how much of that falls on coaching when a team comes out of the dressing room looking that uninterested in playing a game? I don't think that much. I mean, there is, you can go in and fire the guys up, but really at that level, they got to be ready to play. So where does the blame fall then? Is it on the leaders? Yeah, it's the players. I mean, the guys in the room have to get the other guys ready to play. They have to get them focused. They have to say, you know, this is what we've been over. You can't presume, I, I can't imagine football's much different that the coaches can have three days to prepare guys to start the game and at the end of the first half can go in and are so brilliant can make the adjustments to change what they need to change to win the second half. And I they mean, did that often. Like the second half, the Ticats often came out, and they did it again yesterday, come out and look great. They look great in the second half. 
They looked awful in the first half. Uh, but I still, I still blame the athletes. I think sometimes when you get guys and they get reading their own press clippings, thinking, and Ty were heralded. I mean, they were supposed to be in a great cup this year. I thought so. They they were supposed to be Joe Gauze from the Gauze Company, and then they'd go out in the first half and go, I guess these guys aren't going to lay down, and they'd crank up and play to their abilities. But I think it's an internal player thing, and some of the leaders in the dressing room saying, you better get your head out of your butt, or we're going to get embarrassed tonight. And they were good enough to crank it up. What Austin's got to be wondering is, um, why can't we do that from the very start? And it's a challenge for him and the coaching staff without question when you see it repeatedly. But I really lay a lot more blame at the feet of the players. They've got to be ready. They're pros. They know what needs to be done. And if they go out there and lally-gag around and wonder why they're down 21 points at the end of the second, and eventually you, you keep looking in the bottle and the genie's gone, and you're going, well, now what do we do? Especially in a playoff game. How do you come out flat at home in the playoffs? It, it, That's not coaching. It make, I mean, it does make you wonder where there, there is an issue. There has to be an issue. You can't be, you can't be that badly outplayed in so many first halves, and then play so well in the second half. Which, to your point, which I think is bang on, demonstrates you can be a really good team. You have the capacity. You have the players. You have the plays. You have the systems. Whatever it is, you've shown that you can compete with pretty much any team in the league. Maybe not Calgary, but any other team in the league. Halfway at a time. You can do that. You've shown, like, if they got blown out for the whole game, it's one thing. You say, we don't have the players. But for half, for the second halves, probably seven times, eight times this year, they were miserable in the first half and terrific in the second half. And that says they should be able to do it all game. There's no reason. The personnel's there. The coaching or whatever is there. I think the personnel's there. I, you know, not being in the room and I'm not defending... Austin or his coaching staff, but I will tell you, again, they don't get brilliant between the first and second half. The coaches don't. They're they're probably going in and and uh, saying, boys, all we have to do is what we talked about doing for three game three days. What's wrong? I do actually. You know what? I mean, Ken Austin got a lot of uh, a lot of crapped on yesterday after the game because, you know, I mean, it, it's going to happen when you're a coach and your team Same goes, as quarterback, you chose those positions. Yeah, you go to the Grey Cup, you go to the Grey Cup, you go to the Eastern Final, now you're in the Eastern Semifinal and you lose. They're heading in the wrong direction, quite honestly. So Kent Austin was taking some heat yesterday, but the one place that I will give him a ton of credit is that same thing we just talked about. How many half times did they come out at the half and make the adjustments that made this team work? And they did. And, and whatever they did, and that, that again, though, Donna, honestly, comes back to part of the question why I have whether part of this was coaching. Because if you can make a halftime adjustment, does that mean that the game plan going in wasn't right? Something is not right a lot of the time when this team starts. Well, maybe I didn't say it properly. They, the coaches don't get brilliant watch, you know, watching the first half. You're either good enough to coach at that level and prepare your guys for the start of the game. You don't just automatically get smarter as the, as the gun goes to end the first half on a consistent basis. I think they probably had a plan. What they didn't have was guys that were prepared to execute in the first half of the game. So having the skill and having the mental capacity to be able to execute from the start of the game, that's where I'd be looking. I'd be saying, wait a minute, no, these guys really need two quarters to warm up. 
I'm better off with a guy that's not quite that good that can give me a solid 60 minutes so we don't have that far to come back. There was a lot of times. And, and I mean, there, there are people who say, well, the Ticats lost because of all the injuries. And there is definitely something to that. Cleveland Indians. Yeah. No, there's, th- listen, you're right. There's definitely something to it that when you lose Fantus and you lose Chad Owens and you lose uh, Tasker, those are three yeah, that's pretty- huge guys. But even while they were playing... They were still having this first half, second half problem. And so it, it absolutely hurt the Ticats that you have all these injuries. The other thing where I do point to coaching is that you, for four years now under Kent Austin, have adamantly refused to develop a running game. So when you, A, have a weather day like yesterday where it's so windy, and B, lose all your receivers to injury, you don't have a running game to fall back on. That is my one knock on Ken Austin. I'm not going to... The other stuff... I'll bet you got more than one. That's the big one. That's the big one. I mean, again, my, it's not... The other part about the who who's responsible for their lack of fire in the first half, I'm very open to your suggestion. I'm open to the fact that that's a leadership thing rather than a coaching thing, that not every coach is Newt Rockney in the locker room before the game. Before. And you can't be every game. No. Or it wears out. You can't go in there and lose it every... Right. Especially at the start of the game. They haven't done anything wrong yet. Yeah. So, so no, I'm, I'm, I'm very open to that suggestion that, you know, you, th- that seems to me to make a lot of sense, that you've paid guys a lot of money, even though it's the CFL. We're not talking in the $20 million range, but relative to the CFL, you're paying some guys in that room a lot of money to be leaders. It's all relative. Be leaders. Yeah. Be leaders. And if you can't be leaders, if that can't happen, then maybe what they need to look for on the free agent market this year or via trade in the offseason isn't necessarily all about skill. Maybe some of it is about character. Maybe some of it is we got to find a couple of guys that can come in here and lead this locker room and be if that's if that's the problem. If that's what's holding them back, something is holding this team back because if they had played as well in first halves this year as they did in second halves, they would have been a 12 and 6 team. Easy. Easy. Management sometimes sometimes have to make tough decisions. The uh Probably the one that sticks out in my mind the most that happened this summer is uh, P.K. Subban going to Nashville. And that was a ballsy trade. Popular guy, $10 million, local kids hospital. Everybody loved him. Everybody that bought tickets, all the sponsors loved him. You know, uh, the Edmonton Oilers uh, trade their captain. And sometimes you got to make those decisions. Because the results that are happening inside your dressing room carry on to the ice, and it doesn't work out the way it should, and you make those decisions. You know who had a love-hate relationship with P.K. Subban? Is, um, uh, oh, now I'm drawing a blank on his name, the coach of the Ottawa Senators now. Boucher, Guy Boucher. Boucher. When, when Guy Boucher was the Hamilton Bulldogs, Bulldogs coach, the coach uh, he got a lot out of, he made P.K. Subban a very much better player than when he arrived, but P.K. was a an excitable guy too. And one day on practice down at cops, again, cops Coliseum then, uh, PK got, PK Subban got frustrated about something and he went to smash his stick over the bench and it was, you know, it's a composite stick. So it's not like wood. If it breaks, it doesn't just necessarily snap and fall off. It bloated. No, it snapped and bent, but it, because it held on by a few fibers, it then whipped back and nearly decapitated Guy Boucher, who was right behind him. 
Nearly took him. Look at nearly took his head off. And I just remember him screaming, "Zubin off the ice!" and just laying it. But you know, they they he loved him. He was a PK Subban was a great guy here. Just he was a funny. It was a funny dynamic because Guy Boucher, when he was the coach of the Hamilton Bulldogs, still is. Look at him. Just watch him coach. He is about two psi away from exploding at any moment. <laughs> the man is as intense as there is a coach in any sport. Honestly, like Guy Boucher to me probably should have been a football coach. He's got that level of ongoing permanent intensity. Fascinating guy. Favorite interview I ever did in hockey. Like just regularly talking to him. He's the most interesting guy in hockey. He's like the Dosecki's man. The most interesting man in, in hockey. <laughs> but he was, I mean, if you had put a pin in him, he might have burst. He was that intense. He was that, and, and P.K. Subban is the complete Push antithesis. It. He's the and he's the complete opposite of that. He's a great player and a great human being and a great guy, but not nearly. I mean, an intense hockey player, but personality-wise, smiling and having fun. He had it. a big personality. Yeah. He had as big personality on the ice. Yeah, yeah. It was. It was that was. And they made each other better. I'm convinced they made each other better when they were here in Hamilton. It was a great situation for them both. But man, there were some times in practice. When you could see that uh, one of them was about to lose their mind. They're both in the best league in the world still, so. There you go. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. We started off the show tonight talking about the Hockey Hall of Fame induction. At the induction, Gary Bettman, commissioner of the NHL, was being interviewed, as he always or often is. There are several times during a hockey season when Gary Bettman makes himself available for sort of a state of the NHL moment and this is always one of them and one of the questions that came up today was about the NHL going to the Olympics again in South Korea and the answer that was given was essentially well you know what if someone wants to pay for it maybe we'll think about it but we're not going to pay for it is it a smart move by the NHL to not go to an Olympics where the games will be on in the middle of the night or are you trying to expand the game around the world? And even if you don't get all the North American eyeballs for expansion, for interest, for growth, you go no matter when the games are played and who's watching. I think it has a lot more to do with what they want to do with the World Cup than what they just staged in Toronto. And I don't know if they've dissected that enough yet to find out the viability of that project. And you got to know the National Hockey League, are in a, they're a business. They're in the business of making money. And if they think that the Golden Goose is going to be in the World Cup and they can stage it and they can financially, you know, uh, scrape out the benefits of a tournament like that, basically that's what they're going to want to do. Because, you know, in the Olympics there are so many teams there because of the structure of the Olympics themselves, and I'm not finding fault with that, that probably shouldn't be there. You know, it's it's it's... It's the way it is. You I mean, there's teams. Sorry, there's teams in the Olympics that shouldn't be there? countries. Country. Well, they shouldn't I mean. have hockey teams there. Well, there's a guy from um, the Kitchener Waterloo area who is in South Korea now. I can't remember his name. Who has moved to South Korea for a number of years to start up and coach the South Korean team because the host gets an automatic entry. Yeah. How, if it were to turn out that South Korea were to get drawn into the same pool as Canada, how do you think that goes? So I agree with you. That that part of it is sort of silly. But the flip side of it is the Olympics are different from the World Cup in the eyes of people. 
Yes, they are. That's why I said they're not done dissecting it yet. And if they end up with the answer I think they're going to end up with, they're going to go to the Olympics. <laughs> See, I think they're not going to go to the Olympics. No, but, that's, but if that's what they're basing oh, it on. I think they're not going to go to the Olympics. And I just I wonder if that's a smart move. And the reason you've got the NFL that is taking games to you know Mexico City and they go every year to London now and they're trying to take the game somewhere where they can expand the game. The NBA goes to China often and other places. Major League Baseball has their World Cup now and they go and play games in different places and they go to Australia this last year. Just because North America is not going to tune in, I'm not positive that's the reason that you wouldn't send your player. Maybe it is. Maybe shutting down for two weeks is a horrible, horrible move in North America, especially if not everyone's going to stay up till the middle of the night. But do you want to grow the game or do you want to just grow it here? I think they want to grow it. I'm not convinced that they want to grow it in South Korea. And I'm not convinced that they think there'll be enough of the appropriate eyeballs on the game. That's what it is, appropriate. To make it worth their while. I mean, they they know that they're not going to. And when you reference those other sports, basketball's played in China. Uh, Mm -hmm. England having football. You know, parts of Europe would like to Americanize themselves. They don't even call it football. Right, they. I mean, they have what they think is the real football, but there's there's always a bit more rationale than there is going to South Korea to play in the Olympics, and I think it will come down to their analysts of, and they may blame it on money, and then the Olympics will say we can't have we can't have another Olympics without having them there, so we'll pay them what they want the next time, and they skip this one. The thing is, though, South Korea is not far from China. And there are a billion eyeballs in China. And if you think that somehow you well, the, can that you can somehow get a tenth of that many people watching the Winter Olympics in China, maybe that's a pipe dream. I mean, a hundredth of that many people. Well, I can tell you one thing it would absolutely do is save millions and millions of dollars on shipping charges because they'd just be able to go to the factory and pick up the replica sweaters rather than bring them here and send them back. <laughs> it's... Uh, to me, there is your untapped world market. Because, I mean, hockey is never going to become big in India, which is one of the other world's most populous countries. It's just there's there's no way you're ever going to grow hockey. So in why India. do you think it could become popular in China? Because they have seasons that would, yeah. in a lot of parts, that possibly they have a they women's... They have room to put rinks up. They have a women's national hockey team that is showing some yeah. signs of improving. There is a chance that you could possibly grow the game into the Asian market. There are parts of the Asian market, of course, it's never going to go. But if you look at it and you say, okay, we're going to lose North American eyeballs for two weeks, a lot of them, but we potentially, we have the possibility of really, and not only that, we could take some of our biggest name athletes and make them stars or stars-ish, Connor McDavid and Sidney Crosby and Alex Ovechkin into China that's a that's a huge lucrative market if it could work, but it's never going to work if you don't try it. Do they have cricket in the Summer Olympics? No. No. I'm trying to think of a sport like that where the mentality would be the same thing. So when they have the Olympics in North America, even though nobody cares about the sport, if we take it to them, they'll fall in love with it. Well, uh, okay. Uh, rugby sevens was just in the Summer Olympics, and people loved it, and most people around here had never watched Rugby Sevens. I think a closer example, maybe even though this, because it's cultural, um, a a closer option might be if they brought sumo wrestling 
to North America for the Summer Olympics? Would we suddenly be really interested in sumo wrestling? Would we take it on? Would we start following sumo? So what are you? What's everybody going to do? Buy one of those little bathing suits they wear around, and I'd look cute in one of those. But with you know, a sponsor. It, but on it, it wouldn't even necessarily be that you would have to wear one or have sumo people here. It would be: Would you tune would in gr- to watch? Would it? it grow the sport? What do you think? I think no. I think it probably would in some capacity. Do you think that they'd all of a sudden start having big sumo wrestling matches at Madison Square Gardens in New York? You know what? They might. Because if it's about having 16,000 people in there or something, the difference is, even though the United States has 350 million people, it still pales in comparison to the number of untapped people in China for hockey. And I just think that it might be crazy to turn it down just because it doesn't have the eyeballs in North America right now. You know that people here are going to watch hockey and they'll stay up to watch hockey. A lot of them will. Yeah, and and we'll talk about it. And we will talk about it. The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900. AM 900 CHML.